Romans chapter number 8 tonight. I want to read one verse. I want to bring you a very simple message this evening. Uh, tonight, this message is faith message. And what I mean by that is this. I mean that, uh, you know, God's Word gives us the answer. Amen? If we don't have faith enough to believe it, it's not going to help us any. Tonight, I'm going to give you some truths that I believe will help you in your life. And it's your choice, my choice, whether we accept these truths or not. But I want to preach to you on the simple thought tonight, why? W-H-Y, and usually a question mark. Why? Why do we deal with the things we deal with? Why do we go what we go through what we go through? Uh, in other words, we might call it the purpose of God. Romans 8.28 says, and this is probably one of the most familiar verses in all the Word of God. Most of you could quote it. Paul writing says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. I want to read it once more. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd ask that You glorify Yourself tonight in the service. Father, we just want to lift You up tonight. God, give us the encouragement. Father, lead us on in faith that we might grasp what is ungraspable to the human heart and to the natural man. Father, help us to see in You our sufficiency this evening. Help us to lean upon You, Father, to meet our needs. We love and thank You for it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Probably the biggest question in human experience is that of why. What is purpose? What is the purpose? Uh, many times we can observe the what and the when and the where. But it's the why that seems beyond our grasp. Paul gives us a few thoughts, and I just want to give them to you very quickly tonight. In fact, three of them that I believe encompass the purpose of God's dealings in our life. I would not say that the difficulties we fall, that we go through fall into one of these three categories. I would say that the difficulties that we go through fall into all three of these categories. I believe we live in a world that struggles, don't you? I believe that we live in a world where Christians struggle. I believe we're going to struggle till we get home. I don't believe it's ever going to get easier. Amen? I believe it's going to continue to be a struggle for us. I believe that many of the most difficult struggles that a person goes through, most of the people around them are totally unaware of. I believe the things that you deal with that are truly at the very heart of your being, you probably don't share with others, and they're probably not sharing those issues with you. And so it behooves us to look up to a thrice holy God and to ask the question of the only one that can give us an answer. You'll have some that will tell you that God doesn't tell us why He does things, and I reject that sentiment. Now, he may not give us an answer that satisfies us, but he tells us why he does the things that he does. There's purpose in what God is doing. God is not illogical. The world and science falsely so-called would have us to believe that God is illogical. I'll say that God is unreasonable sometimes, but I wouldn't say he's illogical. You say, what do you mean, preacher? What do you mean God's unreasonable? I mean, it was unreasonable for him to send his son to die for you and me. That's beyond reason. But logically speaking, I believe we do have a logical God, meaning that you can see purpose and design and sovereignty in all that He does. And so God gives us these truths, and I'll be honest with you tonight, it's your choice whether you accept them. Because there's probably some in this room tonight that will listen to what this preacher's going to say, and they're going to say, those answers are not good enough. If that's your heart's attitude about it, there's nothing I can do to help you. If God's Word isn't good enough for us, there's no hope for us. 
I mean, we had the same quandary uh, concerning the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man uh, said, oh, if one might rise from the dead, then would my brothers believe. And uh, Abraham said, no, they have the law and the prophets. They've got the word of God. It doesn't matter if one rose from it. Because let me tell you something, one did rise from the dead. And the Pharisee crowd is still rejecting him today. And so the word of God is our only hope. And you can either accept what the Word of God says tonight and take encouragement and strength in it, or you can choose not to do so. We'll all make that choice. But tonight I want to give you three reasons why. Three reasons of purpose for the reason behind our sufferings and the things that we face and deal with. And I'd say not just our sufferings, but I'd say our blessings as well. I believe in Romans chapter number 8 we have the first one. I want you to listen carefully. I believe that part of the reason for why we go through what we go through is because it's for our Good. Our good. Now, I told you this is a faith message. Because the natural man would look at your difficulties and your trials. He would loom them large before your faltering eyes. And he would say, no, it's not good for you. But are we going to believe our flesh or are we going to believe the Lord? Are we going to believe ourselves or are we going to believe God? Are we going to believe our uh, philosophy or are we going to believe God's word? It's not really faith until you've had to uh, ignore something to believe it. Amen. It's not really faith until you've had to look at what the natural man says and say, you're a liar, and uh, the natural man, your nature, and your daddy is a liar, and I've been born again of the Spirit of God, and the devil's a liar from the beginning, and I'm going to reject what you say, and I'm going to believe what God says. God says everything that happens is for our good. Them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. You say, who is that preacher? That's him that's born again. I mean, cut it any way that you want to, but that's what it boils down to. That's him that's born again. There's not a thing that's going to happen in your life that's not for your good. Now, you say, preacher, you don't know what I've been through. No, I don't. I don't. And I don't have to because I've got God's word on the matter. And he says all things work together for good. Notice the encompassing thought of this verse. Now, I believe most of us could accept this very easily if it said some things work together for good. I believe that most of us could accept this premise if it said a few things work together for good. But oh, what an affront it is to the natural man for God to say that all things work together for good. Do you realize that means both the small things in your life that seem insignificant, that God's sovereign hand is upon them, and they all work together for your good. Do you know, and this is where it gets tough, do you know the big problems in your life? are the very things that God said are working for your good. It doesn't say that all things work towards the comfort of those that love God, of those that are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say all things work together for the prosperity. It doesn't say that all things work together for the pleasure. But it says that all things work together for good. That means that trial that you're going through that you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel and you can't make any heads or tails out of it and any reasoning behind it. You look at it and you see nothing but darkness and nothing but despair and you see no hope and you see no purpose and you see no reason. You've got a choice to make. Are you going to look at the natural man and believe him or are you going to look at God when God says all things work together for good? You say, preacher, you ain't been through what I've been through. I haven't. You haven't been through what I've been through. I'll never go through what you've gone through. You'll never go through what I've gone through. We all have what we call a different human experience. But we all have the same God if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's sufficient for you like He's sufficient for me. Neighbor, He'll be sufficient for me ten years down the road like He'll be sufficient for you ten years down the road. doesn't matter what you're going through. He said all things, all things work together for good. It's an encompassing thought, but it's an encouraging thought. 
for good. What does that mean for good? Well, we might use this terminology. Listen carefully. Well-being. Ever heard that terminology? Well-being, that phrase. For the good of our well-being. The reason we say that, because that term well-being, it looks further than our immediate desires. And looks past our immediate wants and our immediate lusts. And looks towards what's going to be ultimately best in our life. There's some things that you may be going through that haven't made you very comfortable, but they've made you awful consecrated. There may be some things you're going through that haven't made you very happy, but they've taken a step or two towards making you holy. And ultimately, that's what's good in your life. We have this tendency to believe it's all about our comfort. Now, I understand that. I mean, I, I feel that. We all feel that way, that there are some things in our life, and it's all about our comfort. Uh, hallelujah when we have that comfort. Praise the Lord when He chooses to do that. But the ultimate priority is not that comfort. It's that consecration. The ultimate priority is not that uh, that temporary happiness. It's that perpetual holiness. That's what the ultimate goal is. The Bible says it's not, it's not just that it's all things, but all things are working for a purpose. It's all working for good, whether we see it or not. It does not say that everybody's going to perceive the good that these things are working towards. It doesn't say you're always going to understand it. Listen, we'd be in trouble if we always had God squared away. Don't you think so? I mean, if we always knew what God was doing, why He was doing it, or if we always understood the steps in the process, don't you think we'd have a pretty small God? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. It doesn't matter whether we understand it or not. It is according to His glory. You say, preacher, you sound like you're being harsh. No, I'm trying to be realistic here. Because the Word of God, we've got a hope, friend. I mean, we've got something to shout about. We've got something to rejoice in. We've got something to praise His holy name over. Whether we understand it or not, still doesn't change the fact. I'm thankful that it is not dependent upon my attitude. Because I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes this preacher's attitude ain't where it needs to be. Aren't you thankful it works together for good, regardless of our attitude, regardless of our amb- ambitions, of our aspirations, regardless of our actions? It says all things work together for good. You say, explain that, preacher, and I say, I can't. Except to know that God's Word said it's true. I told you it would be a faith message. I believe all things work together for our good. But let me give you a second thought. I believe it all works together for abundant grace. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 12. We've been here many, many times, many times. But I want you to read it again with me tonight because I don't believe that the things that happen are just for our good. Praise His holy name if they were just for our good. But it gets better than that. They're not just for our good, but they're that we might have abundant grace. Second Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse number 7. Paul is writing about a time when he was caught up into the third heaven and he saw unspeakable things and had an experience that I don't believe any other human being had uh, been through. I, I I don't know. I could be wrong about this, but I believe John saw visions. I believe Paul saw the real deal. Now, you don't have to believe that, uh, but it doesn't say he saw visions of being in the, It says he was caught up to the third heaven. But listen to what it says in verse number 7. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Look at verse number 8. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. At this point, we'd be rejoicing because somebody's already told us that our answer is on the way and we're shouting and glory, hallelujah. Listen to what his answer is. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Every time I read it, 
it's an offense to my natural being. You understand that? Every time I read that, the natural man just recalls. The natural man wants to shake his head and say it cannot be. The natural man wants to look at it and say foolishness. But I'm thankful that God's made foolish the wisdom of this world. Even though I don't understand it, I believe it. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is writing and he says that my suffering was a channel to an abundance of God's grace in my life. I'm in waters so deep, I don't know that I can swim us both out of them. But let me just make a few thoughts very quickly to you. Paul would have never known that grace if he hadn't gone through what he went through. He found a source of the grace of God in his life. Hey, if you want to get to the good water, you've got to dig a deep well. Sometimes you've got to get in a low place before you find that touch that Paul's talking about. Paul was brought to a place of bankruptcy. It's when we're brought to that bankruptcy that we begin to take take account of the riches of Christ because here in this place of suffering, here in this place of despair, here in this place where the natural man, I promise you, I don't know Paul, but I know the devil that he fought well enough to know exactly what the devil told him. And I can just hear the devil sneaking up beside Paul and saying, you know, your God has failed you. He said he'd hear an answer and hear you've prayed and you've asked and he's not come through for you. Paul was faced with the same decision that you and I are faced with. How am I going to respond? God's answer showed two things. It showed a source of the grace of God. The grace of God is more abundant when we are in need of grace. He says, I will take pleasure in necessities. You say, why did he say that? He said that because he found out that when he needed something, it gave God an opportunity to meet that need. He understood that whenever he had a spiritual need, a financial need, a physical need, an emotional need, uh, whatever it might be in his life, he found that in that place he could watch God work. I tell you what, a lot of us are... are, (laughs) I tell you what's limiting God in a lot of our lives. we got too much of it worked out. we just got too much of it worked out. You know what I mean? I'm as guilty as anybody, neighbor. we got too much of it worked out. We don't give God nothing to work out. And so when he don't work, we say, well, I just don't know about this whole Christianity thing. When all it is, is we've not given him any opportunity to do something mighty in our life. We've been doing it in our own energy. He found a source of grace. But but I would say he not only found the source of this grace, he found the sufficiency of this grace. God said, Paul, you say it don't say that, no, but I know the Lord well enough. I said, Paul, Paul. My grace is sufficient. Well, what an astounding word, Brother Ralph, that word sufficient is. It implies the perfect amount. It does not imply an overabundance, nor does it imply a deficit, but it implies just the right amount. Well, the Bible says concerning the blessing upon Asher in the Old Testament, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. The Lord didn't say, Asher, I'm going to give you enough strength for two months before you have to come back. Renew up 
Use it wisely. No, it's daily bread. That manna, if it wasn't picked up, it would rot and it'd get worms in it. He's not going to give us enough. He's not going to give us enough. You remember what the psalmist said? The psalmist prayed and said, Lord, give me enough bread that I'd not steal and blaspheme you. But don't give me so much that I get confident in myself and blaspheme you. The Lord knows how to give us just what we need when we need it. Now, that's a truth that I have seen in my life over and over again. I'm sure you've seen it in your life over and over again. Paul is learning this lesson anew on a deeper level. By the way, do you know we don't really learn any new lessons? We learn the same lessons on deeper levels. Did you know that? I mean, we don't really learn any new lessons. We we learn that God loves us, but, but as we uh, live our lives and go through things, we just learn how much He loves us. We know God's good, but as we live our life and go through things, we just find out just how good He is. And on and on it could go. All these lessons... Lessons. We don't learn more. We just learn deeper. And we're never going to learn deep enough. You say, why is that? Uh, because it's inexhaustible what God has done for us. So Paul learned on a deeper level. As his need grew bigger, he learned that the grace grew bigger and that the grace was always sufficient. You'll find when, it, when the rubber really hits the road, you'll find God's always enough. Always. I mean, he's always more than enough. You know what I mean. But I'm saying this. There's times when the devil tells us, you know, God ain't going to come through for you. There's times the devil says, you're a fool for trusting in God. God ain't going to come through for you. Oh, but time and time again, without fail, he's always been enough. He's always met the need. He's always been sufficient. I mean, there's things that you go through in your life. There are hurts that are so deep and fears that are so high and so large that except God intervene, you'll be overwhelmed by them. But you'll find His grace is always sufficient. Grace is always sufficient. I believe we're given things for our good. That's why we go through some of the things, all the things, for our good. We may not see it, but we go through them for our good. I believe we go through them for abundant grace so that God can be bigger in our life. But can I give you a final thing? Some of you said final what happened? We started early. Don't not, We didn't start early. We just started faster. Amen. So don't get nervous. I believe he does it all for his glory. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter number 11. I want to read one verse to you. John chapter 11 is probably one of the more famous passages in the word of God. We find ourselves in the town of Bethany. We find ourselves uh, in the home, as you read throughout this chapter, you do anyways, of a little family, Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. Lazarus has died. You say, do you really believe he died? Yeah, I believe he died. The scripture says he died. I believe he died. We sing songs about, you know, four days late and things like that. And I believe that's true, and that's blessed so many people. I don't mean to minimize it in any way, shape, fashion, or form. But I think sometimes we cheapen the grief in this scene. Because here they are, and they've asked for God to show up. And He hasn't. Now, I know you know the story, and I, I understand that. And I know you know where we're headed, and I know you know how it ends. And I, we can shout in a sec, but I, I just want you to hear what I just said again. Because I think sometimes we identify our human experience in a different category, or in a lower category than the human experience that those in the Bible dealt with. Listen carefully and ask yourself, have you ever felt like this? They prayed, they asked for Jesus to show up. And he didn't. 
Not when they expected. They had a timetable, you understand. They had a deadline. And they said, the Lord needs to show up at this time. That timetable was not defined uh, by a particular day, but it was defined by their problem. That's usually how it is with us. Usually we're willing to suffer along with an issue until it gets so bad. And then that's the point where we want to say, well, Lord, I can't take this, so I give up and I'm done with it. They had done the same thing. They had set their deadline. They had cried out. They had sent word to Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, come and heal Lazarus, uh, whom thou lovest. They knew a lot of the same thing. They knew the Lord felt about Lazarus a lot the same way me and you know he feels about us. They knew the Lord loved Lazarus. They knew the Lord would want Lazarus to live. They knew the Lord had a plan for Lazarus' life. That's all true of me and you. And so they had set a deadline, and they had say, this is when he has to come by. And he didn't show up. This is the place that they're at. Listen to what's said in verse number 4. This interests me greatly. Verse number 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Now, it's important to understand that the the death that's being spoken of here, you can interpret this two ways. You could you could assume that our Lord is saying that ultimately Lazarus is not going to die. Or you could interpret this as the Lord speaking of a spiritual death. And saying that this sickness that Lazarus is going through is not to his ultimate harm or his ultimate damnation. But either way, it's an academic distinction A ray of hope bursts through the scene. And the Lord says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. If it wasn't for the glory of God, John chapter 11 would not be in the Bible. Can I say that again? Listen carefully. If it wasn't for the glory of God, John chapter 4 would not be in the Word of God. Because the Bible says that the purpose of this whole issue in Lazarus' life was that of the glory of God. Can I make a statement to you that I hope you can really grasp? I'm not saying grasp it in in an academic way. I know that everyone can, but I mean spiritually. Really take hold of this. Let this sink down into your soul. The chief issue in the life of the believer, of the church, of a human being, is that of the glory of God. It overrides everything else. Now, I'm thankful that God's sovereign enough to do it for our good and for His glory. But understand that the preeminent thing is always His glory. I'll tell you why we get so dissatisfied. No, I'm not going to do that to you. I'll tell you why I get so dissatisfied. I'm not going to put you under the magnifying glass. I'll put me under the magnifying glass. You know why this preacher lets his flesh get the best of him? You know why this preacher gets dissatisfied sometimes? Because sometimes I think it's all about my comfort and not about God's glory. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Sometimes we we get the feeling that uh, it's all about us. I'm thankful. Hey, he made it all about us on Calvary, didn't he? I'm thankful for that. But understand, it's not just about us. It's all about him. And if we would learn to see things in light of the glory of God, it would change everything. I look around at the church as a whole today. professing Christians all around. And I look at my own self at times, probably most of the time, Brother Ralph, and I see believers that are devoid of perception concerning the glory 
of God. I see Christians that see everything in the light of a different prism and never take into account the glory of God in what's taken. You know why people struggle with standards? Because they're not paying attention to the glory of God. You know why people struggle with sin? Because they're not dealing with the glory of God. You know why people struggle with iniquity in their life and struggle with their testimony? You know why they struggle with faith? You know why we deal with those things? Because we're not considering the glory of God. You see, when you understand it's about the glory of God, you quit having to understand a lot. Can I say it again? When you understand it's about the glory of God, you quit having to understand a lot. When you understand that the chief thing is that He be magnified, that He be lifted up. The lost and dying world uh, see your life and the things taking place and it caused them to look heavenward and say, surely there is a God at work. When that becomes the preeminent thing, it straightens a lot of things out in our life. It's about, the book of Ephesians says that we're to be unto the uh, praise and the honor of His glory. That's why we exist. That's why the church exists. Church don't exist just to shout it out and have a good time in fellowship. I mean, praise the Lord that He lets us do that. Hallelujah for that. That's not why we're here. We're here to glorify God. That's why it's so important that we keep our standards right. Hey, neighbor, we could pack this place out in a heartbeat. I mean, it don't take much. A few smoke machines, some, uh, some, uh, you know, some lasers, a rock concert. You'd have people, uh, bust out. I mean, neighbor, they'd have to widen Wall Ridge Road to pack them in. But to do so, we'd have to forfeit the glory of God. To do that, we'd have to forfeit the glory of God. A church, their sole purpose is to glorify God, but a believer's sole purpose is that as well. You know, the Bible says, Psalms 23, David said, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Sometimes we have a tendency to believe that if we don't understand something, that we're exempt from it. But understand that the reason the Lord's leading you in the way that He's leading you is for His name's sake, not for yours. There's some things that God expects of us that we may not like. But after all, it's not about you, is it? Remember, I told you it's a perception problem. We're not perceiving things in light of the glory of God. I mean, if our chief and first question was always, is this glorifying to Jesus Christ? That'd change a lot of things about our lives. I mean, it, it, the, the problem is that it's ever become anything other than that. Amen? I mean, that's the problem is we've gotten our focus away from that. If we get back to the place, no matter what it is, when the preacher preaches, his purpose ought to be the glory of God. When the singer sings, their purpose ought to be the glory of God. When the offering is taken up, when tithes are given, it ought to be the glory of God. Uh, when the congregational singing is taking place, the way we sing, it ought to be all about the glory of God. When we go out and witness to people, the purpose ought to be the glory of God. When we go, hey, listen, when we get up and get dressed in the morning, the glory of God ought to be on our minds. When we react to people in the way they treat us, the glory of God ought to be what's on our mind. When we get in our car and decide to go somewhere, the glory of God ought to be what's on our mind. Mind, this question of what am I doing to glorify Jesus Christ? And is what I'm doing taking glory away from Him? That changed a lot of things, you know it? You may be going, uh, you know, Paul was praying for the very, he was praying that God would take away the very thing out of his life, Brother Ralph, that was giving God the most glory. That was the very thing in his life that was glorifying God the most. He couldn't see it. Usually you can't. You're in a mess that dark, you usually can't see anything. He couldn't see that. 
But that was the very thing that was making his life worthwhile. It didn't matter. You know what Paul made the decision about? He said, I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I've made up my mind, whether I understand it or not, that God's in control and I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to try to glorify him in my life. I don't believe Paul came out of that thing understanding his situation any better, except he understood that God was on his throne. I don't think Paul came out of there and understood how that the thorn in the flesh was bringing God glory. I don't think he understood that. I think what he understood is that that was the source and the channel for him to glorify God in his life. Here's a question I've got for you tonight. What are you going through? What are you going through? I don't want you to answer audibly or or to raise a hand or anything like that. I just want you to ask yourself, what am I going through? There's probably people in this room going through stuff that you'd never imagine. Whatever you're going through, I want to encourage you tonight in saying there is purpose. There is purpose. And that purpose, it is for your good, whether you recognize it or not. It's for the abundance of grace, and it's yours for the taking. It's yours for the taking. And it's for God's glory, if we'll allow Him to be glorified through it.